Appreciate my brother and friend, Davey Carter, so much. We worked on this song list together today as we knew that this sermon was going to be focusing on the Bible. And so I hope you see that connection between the hymns that we've sung and between our kids' time and uh, as we continue on in this series, uh, connecting with the culture without deleting the church. And today is connecting with the truth. We live today in what some call a post-truth culture. Now you might think, wait, I've heard that term. I've heard that term. And if you're thinking that, you have. Especially if you've been here for longer than a year. About a year ago at this time, can you believe it was just a year ago? We went through a book by Sarah Barrett entitled Stand Up, Stand Strong. We focused on that book in a sermon series and also in uh, our teen through adult Bible classes. And one of the things that we brought out during that time was this term, a post-truth culture. The 2016 Oxford Dictionary named it the word of the year, post-truth. They defined it as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion, feelings, and personal beliefs. So let me read that one more time, that last part. Objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or feelings and personal belief. Now we kind of realize the flaw in that, right? All of a sudden everything is subjective. There's no objective truth and that's why you can call this the post-truth culture. And we'll say more about that as we go along in this message. And it's why I love when our shepherds lead our prayers, as our brother John Shaw did earlier. They speak about this church and praying for our church and our church family and those that we know. But also they pray for our community and especially for our nation and our world. As John did a few moments ago. Just a a little reminder... uh, John's uh, uh, turn to lead the shepherd's prayer today comes on the day before he begins uh, chemo and radiation treatment tomorrow. So keep John and Terry and all of their wonderful family in your prayers. And yet here he was leading us in prayer for those uh, who are facing similar battles and for our church, for our community, and for our world. And how important... Are those prayers right now? Because we live in what some call a post-truth culture. Sarah Barrett writes, A post-truth environment exists when people are directed by subjective feelings rather than objective facts. A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. I love what Kelly shared during our time around the table as he talked about how soil is is still soil even if there's no tree in it, but a tree can't survive without soil. The sea is still the sea even if there's no fish in it, but a fish can't survive without that water. And God is still God whether mankind uh, affirms that or not, but mankind cannot survive without God. And yet that's the world that we're living in 
right? It's not that truth doesn't exist any more than the sea wouldn't exist if there were no fish in it. Of course it would still exist. Dirt is still dirt whether there's something planted and growing in it or not. But what our culture is trying to convince us of today is not that truth doesn't exist, although some would say that even, but that truth doesn't matter. Because we can never get to a time where the truth does not exist. Even if we don't affirm it, it still exists. There's still truth. But it seems like today we have several choices of what to believe. We can believe in your truth. We can believe in my truth. Or we can believe in no truth. Those are some of the options, right? You have your truth. I have my truth. And some would say, well, really, there's, there's no such thing as truth. It's all subjective. It's whatever works best for you. It's whatever you feel like adhering to and believing and living by. Whatever that is... That is truth, whether it's your truth or my truth, or if someone would say, there's no such thing as truth at all. And yet those things are far from what Scripture says, because the Bible, as we have sung about today, the Bible affirms that there is the truth. There is the truth. Not everyone's going to believe and accept that, of course. And so you may have your opinions, I may have my opinions, we may choose to disbelieve the truth, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still the truth. Any more than when you catch a fish, some of you catch fish, usually when I always went fishing, I would, I would pretty much have a wonderful time out on the lake, <laughs> not much fish. But if you do catch a fish and you pull it up, it doesn't change the fact that that lake is still water. So whether we believe in the truth or not, it doesn't change the fact that the truth exists. And even though our culture would try to tell us, you have your truth, I have my truth, some would say there's no truth. We know that the Bible says, and our experience has shown us, that there is the truth. The scripture that Kelly referred to earlier from John 14, 6 affirms this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that doesn't sound like a very 21st century American culture statement, does it? Why? Because it affirms that there is the truth. It affirms that there is the way, and the truth, and the life. And it also affirms that there's only one way to the Father. And that way is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. If you turn away from Christ, there is no other option to get to the Father. To get to life. Because He is the way and the truth and the life. And so as we've begun this series, Connecting with the Culture Without Deleting the Church, we purposely begun it with these three thoughts in mind. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. To connect with the culture, we must connect them 
with Jesus. And the way we connect them with Jesus is through his word, the Bible. We must connect them with the way. We must connect them with the truth. We must connect them with the life. To connect with Jesus, the truth, we must connect with the Bible, his word. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day. I love the way the poet wrote that. Precept and promise. Law and love combining. You see, that's the great thing. One of the great things about this Bible, about the Word of God, is it doesn't choose one or the other. It's precept, law, and promise, love. And for Scripture, there's there's no differentiating between those. Those are all part of the truth. And if we are going to connect people with the truth, we must connect them with the Bible. Whatever else our culture tells us, whatever else our culture tries to convince us of, we must connect with the Bible ourselves and we must connect others with that same Bible, that holy message shining those ancient words. To connect with our culture without deleting the church, we must get them connected with the truth of God's word, the Bible. And to do that, we must remain connected with the truth of God ourselves. There have been lots of studies over the last uh, few decades especially, but for quite some time about how people understand and read and how common is it that people have a relationship with the Bible, with God's word. And the distressing thing about our American culture, and this comes as no surprise to you, is that the Bible is becoming further and further taken out of our society, out of our culture, away from our lives. And as disturbing as that is, that's not the thing that concerns me most. Here's what concerns me most. Is the number of Christians who profess faith in Christ who don't have a relationship with the Bible, who don't know the Bible, who don't read the Bible, who don't study the Bible, who don't see that as their guide. How do you know that I don't see it as my guide, Bill? Well, do you know what it says? As you make decisions on how you should live and and how you should treat others and what you should share with your children and your grandchildren, are you basing that on Scripture? Is that the foundation? To connect with Jesus, the truth, we must connect with the Bible, His Word. And in order to connect others, we must be connected ourselves. We must be, remain connected with the truth of God's Word ourselves because the Bible alone is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. And you've got a lot of scriptures on your outline today. It's available online as well as in our bulletin. And I won't go through all of those, but I'll share a couple of them. First of all, Deuteronomy 13. In the old law, in Deuteronomy 13, Moses says this. He was approached and asked, hey, how do we know if a prophet is from God or not? Great question. And Moses says, well, uh, here's how. And someone might have asked him, suppose a prophet 
gives a prophecy and it, and it happens. He says something's going to happen and it does. How do we know? If, does that mean that prophet's from God? And Moses says, not necessarily. Hold on a sec. Ask yourself this question. Is that prophet leading us to the word of God? Or is that prophet teaching something that contradicts what's in God's word? Moses says, even if a prophet has a prophecy, that actually happens. Pretty impressive. And yet he steers us away from God's word and God's law. Then they are to be accursed. Paul would say something very similar later on in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 6, chapter 1, when he says, even if an angel from heaven stood in the big fat middle of our assembly today, and all of us would be impressed, but that angel said, the Bible isn't really God's word, the Bible doesn't really teach you how to live, then even that angel is to be accursed and not listened to. And Scripture is the only place we can find that inspired and authoritative Word of God. And that's why the Bible nearly ends with these words at the end of chapter 22. Don't add to or take away from the inspired Word of God. That's not up to us. It's not our call. Oh, we can go back and forth about what it means and how to apply it. And that's the right thing to do. That's why we have our Bible classes. That's why we meet every Sunday and interact with each other and with the Word of God. But we don't change it. And that's the difference. We don't add to or take away from. Jesus said that, as John records, he came revealing grace and truth. Precept and promise. Law and love. Combining. In John 1, it's grace and truth. We're pretty familiar with that uh, statement that says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Make you free. That's John 8, verse 32. What doesn't get as much playtime, what doesn't get as many clicks, is the verse that precedes it. Where Jesus says, if you follow my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you follow my teaching, Jesus says, that teaching is found in the inspired scripture. In John 12, Jesus says, I'm not here to judge people. I'm not here to condemn them. The words that I have spoken is what will condemn them in the last day. How important are the words of Jesus? How important is the word of God? As he prays hours before his death in John 17, Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. Connecting with the truth. Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing the message of Christ. The traditional translation, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Peter in 2 Peter 1 defends his teaching and he says this, look, we didn't make this stuff up. (laughs) We didn't follow cleverly invented stories. That's not what we're sharing with you, but we were eyewitnesses. Peter and John could say, when, when we heard that voice on the mountain, we heard it. When we saw that transfiguration, we saw it with our own eyes, heard it with our own ears. <clears throat> and so Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, the ones who spoke the word of God weren't making this up. But they were carried along, moved, 
by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, the Scripture is God-breathed. Every single Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. And so these words from 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, mark this, not long before his own death, Paul tells the young preacher Timothy, his son in the gospel, the things that were most important to him. In chapter 3, verse 1, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. You want to know whether or not we're in the last days? We are. You want to know how long we've been there? 2,000 years. You want to know how much longer we're going to be there? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I do know if we're living according to this, it doesn't matter. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You say, well, Bill, that's describing our culture today to a T. It was also describing the culture that Timothy preached in. Because Paul says this at the end of verse 5, have nothing to do with such people. They were already getting away from the word of God. And Paul is reminding Timothy to remain faithful. 2 Timothy 3, a little bit further along in verse 14. Paul says, but as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if that's true, then this next part naturally follows in chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Do you think what he's about to say is kind of important? Is he going to say, love one another as I have loved you? That's important and that's a big, big deal, but that's not what he says. Is he going to say, love the Lord your God and obey his commands? Well, that's a big, big deal, but that's not what he says. I give you this charge, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, healthy teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Preach the word. Live the word. Share the word. All of those are significant and only God's word 
is the inspired Word of God. So don't just hold to the truth, share it. Sharing the light, as John prayed us to be able to do. Don't just hold to the truth, do that. But don't stop there, share it. In our previous messages, we have emphasized Ephesians 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. As I spoke this week at our, with our wonderful neighbors, the North Tenaha Church of Christ, in their lectureship, I shared, <clears throat> I shared this thought, speaking the truth in love. And I asked them the question that I've asked you many times, which of those three is optional? Can we just believe the truth? In love and not share it? Can we speak whatever the message is, whatever the people want to hear and do it with love? Is that enough? Can we just speak the truth and not care about the attitude in which we share it? None of those things is optional. Speaking the truth in love. It involves these three things that we've shared before in this series. Clarity, conviction, compassion. Clarity, speaking in a way that people will understand, in a way that connects with them and connects them with the Word of God. Speaking with clarity, but also speaking with conviction, speaking the truth. The truth that we ourselves believe in And that whether they agree with us or not, they leave that discussion knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I believe this. Maybe they won't, but they will know that you do. Clarity, conviction, and compassion. Let them never question our love for them. Let them never question that we care about them. Speaking the truth in love. Clarity, conviction, compassion. And so as we begin to close, don't buy the lies of a post-truth culture. Don't buy their lies. If we are to overcome this post-truth culture today, we must connect with the truth. And we must help others connect with the truth. The truth of God's Word, the truth that is embodied in Jesus Christ. The Bible defines truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. And so a couple of observations. First of all, Scripture is greater than follow your heart and follow the crowd. Scripture is greater than those. And we understand Scripture is greater than follow the crowd. I mean, we've heard that, you know laid into us since we were kids. But it's the other one that I think we struggle with. You see, Scripture is greater than follow your heart. Why? Because your heart can't always be trusted. If this is a post-truth culture, then the, the heart is the ultimate authority. You do whatever your heart tells you to do. However you feel. Whatever you want. At this moment, at this time. But that's not what the Bible says. Scripture, the truth, is greater than follow your heart. It's greater than follow the crowd. The truth is greater than your truth, than my truth, and than no truth. We 
even though we may be in the minority in this country, if not now, it's coming, we affirm there is the truth. And that truth is found right here. The Bible, the Word of God. And the truth is greater than your truth. It's greater than my truth. It's greater than no truth. Just as we sang with our kids up here, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. That's how I know it. That's how I know it. The more we read this Bible, the happier we'll be because we learn about Jesus and how we can please him. And that's when we're doing what we were created to do. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. This morning, are you standing alone on the Word of God? Are you standing on the promises of God today? If we can help you do that, come as we stand and sing this great hymn together.